hey, this is a podcast trailer for a podcast about podcast trailers. Let me explain. Hello, I'm Tim Viegas. And my name's Ariel Nissenblatt. We are podcast people who are obsessed with listening to and making podcasts. And with so many options, it's hard to find good ones. So we thought, what if we made a podcast that featured trailers of fantastic podcasts that have already been made, never made it to production, or have yet to be released or funded? Introducing the Trailer Park Podcast. The Trailer Park Podcast, or TPP. Where you can listen to podcast trailers to your heart's content. On each episode, we'll introduce a trailer, hear some tape, or perhaps even an interview from the creator, and then send you off on your merry way to listen to or support that podcast. Or maybe it's not your cup of tea. But hey, that's the point. It's a trailer. It's low commitment. And if you have a trailer of your own that you want to submit, go to trailerparkpodcast.crd.co. Subscribe to or follow the Trailer Park Podcast on your favorite podcast app right now to hear our first episode when it drops. Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv. And this time I am speaking with a lady who has a great history as a broadcaster, working in television and radio, I believe, in Australia, and has quite the resume, which we're going to get into detail with very soon. I'm speaking with the host of the podcast, A Breath of Fresh Air, Miss Sandy Kay. Hey, Sandy, thank you for speaking with me today. Hey, Marv, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm so happy to have had the opportunity to join your podcast. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for being here, trying to navigate the time zones of the world between the UK and Australia is quite a, a feat. Always challenging, isn't it? Well, if, imagine if we all lived in the same place and all spoke the same language and all looked the same, life would be so boring. It would. We wouldn't have so many great <laughs> cultures and music to listen to and film and, and all of that. Thing. But then again, you cont- you're in touch with people in the UK a lot because you've spoken with a lot of people like uh, like we were mentioning before we started, Rick Wakeman, and uh, you've not been able to get hold of him yet. Have you had any any message yet from Roy Wood? Because he was one of my suggestions. Yes, he was. No, he was. Last time I spoke with his manager, he was very unwell. But that's a great reminder. I'll get back to him because some of them have said to me, get back in the new year. And uh, I will definitely follow up that one. I'll make a note now to get hold of him. Yeah, I've spoken to to lots of people. I've spoken to Verdon Allen from Procol Harum there, to Steve Harley from Steve Harley and the Cockney Rebel, to Bev Bevan from ELO, to, um, gosh, there's so many to to even think about. Um, yet there are so many still on my on my bucket list, on my wish list that I, uh, I'm trying to get to. But, you know, Marv, as a journalist of, of many, many, many years, I think the one thing I learned very early on is that if you are chasing a story, 
you you don't give up at the first no. You know, it only takes one door to open. It doesn't matter if a hundred shut on you or if they push you back a hundred times on the hundred and first try, they might let you in and that makes it all worth it. In fact, that's in fact the story that's happening with me right now with do you remember 60s teen idol Bobby Sherman? I do very much. Yep. yep. So I mean I'm sure some of your listeners will, some of them might have been way too young. Of course, Bobby Sherman came even before the days of David Cassidy, who was the pin-up boy for for lots of girls, particularly, I guess some boys too, who grew up in the 70s. But uh Bobby Sherman has been very elusive for many, many years. In fact, I was searching YouTube and I can't find an interview he's done since the 80s. So I have been chasing Bobby Sherman. This is now my third year. And I thought, oh, just his wife is his manager. I thought I'll just flick her at one more email and see if she'll let me do it. And she kept saying that he doesn't want to talk about his music and he doesn't want to answer questions he's answered a thousand times before. But they run a foundation so I said, no, I want to talk to you about the foundation. Anyway, when I come off uh, this line from you, I'm finally about to talk to Bobby Sherman. So the lesson I learned was that you just keep trying to get them, what whoever you want, whatever you want in life, really, tenacity and perseverance has got to count for something. And always be prepared because they will occasionally give you a certain time limit to fit into as well. So you have to make sure that you have all of your uh, questions or notes in order so that you can run down them. And then in those situations where you're lucky enough to have them for a longer period of time, like the interview with Rick, for instance, that was a longer interview for you than the ones that you normally have on your show. Then you can go into the other areas and the tangent, so to speak, and go out of the main area of the interview and get other things in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say my show, A Breath of Fresh Air, has been evolving since it first started. It began, well, let me take you back before it began. As you mentioned, I've been a journalist and a broadcaster since since I ran away from an arts law course at university way back in the the mid-70s, much to my father's total disgust. And I don't know, I had the smell of media in me somehow. I've been, uh, you know, dancing on this schools program for television and the smell of film in those days and the whole studio atmosphere got me at the time. So I knew that I wanted to be in media and studying law was so dry and so boring, I couldn't stand it. So I ran away and and, uh, joined a radio station and started doing promotions. And as you well know, the media industry is such that you chop and change and it's very transient and, you know, here I am 250 jobs and positions later uh, doing what I'm doing now. So I, I was for many years doing live entertainment reports for various radio stations. I had hosted my own radio show for some years and came off that and then just went into doing entertainment reports, more for the lifestyle really. I enjoyed getting the free tickets and and music and all sorts of things. And then when COVID hit, a few of the stations that I was reporting for said, is there any way you could blow out your 15 or 20 minute segment and make it an hour because so many of our presenters can't come into the studio anymore? Uh, we've got holes in our roster. So I rose to the challenge and I learned to build this little show on my laptop and I started reaching out to the people that I'd been so enamoured with when I grew up in the 70s and I don't think my musical tastes have changed since then. I couldn't tell you what happened really beyond the 80s in music because I was busy with children and working and everything else. But music always affects you most in your formative years and mine were through 
through the 70s. I can remember music from the 60s, um, you know, as a seven-year-old, nine-year-old, 11-year-old. I was obviously interested and heard it around the house. But uh, through the 70s was really when I got interested. So I started reaching out to my favourite artists from those times and lo and behold, they were at home. They weren't on tour. They weren't with their management. They said, yeah, okay, we'll talk to you. So I started to pull some really big names and, and it was fabulous. I was I mm. couldn't believe it. But in saying that, growing up through radio and television, I'd had a lot of training in journalism as such. I never got to study a journalistic degree because at the time here in Melbourne, there was only one school. I think it actually served the whole of Australia and they only took 30 candidates from the entire nation and they didn't want me. So when I started off in the in the business and my first jobs were radio, I was just thrown in the deep end. They said to me, you know, do you want to read the traffic reports? I said, sure. And I'd just get on there and tell people to clear off one road in order to allow me to drive home better, <laughs> more freely on the other road. And then a few weeks later, it was such irreverency and I guess a bit of a fresh approach to doing this. The news director said to me, would you like to read the news? So I'm 18 wow. years old and I said, sure, you know, I'll read the news. I'll do anything you like. I love media. And I started to read the news. Well, in those days, a female voice, particularly a news reading female voice, was totally unheard of. Now, Female newsreaders are bound everywhere. But yeah. in those days, the male broadcasters used to feel that female voices were unsuitable for broadcast because we were too high-pitched and squeaky and the rest. So I started reading the news in the all-male newsroom, threatened to resign if I wasn't sacked. And, of course, the poor news director who really did like my style and it was quite groundbreaking said, I'm so sorry, I have to let you go. And uh, I drove home that day on the road. I'd told people to clear off only several weeks earlier with tears streaming down my face. I'd been sacked from my first job. Of course, there were many more sackings to come, <laughs> but um, I'll never forget that one. So I started paving the way, I guess, for women uh, in broadcast, certainly here. And uh, I joined another radio station following that one as a researcher. And uh, I started in those days, there was no internet. When you made a phone call to the UK or the US, it was super expensive from here. But I always set myself very high standards. And my host on the radio program wanted to have some great guests. So I remember reaching out at the time to actors in America like Mickey Rooney, like yeah. uh, Dinah Shaw, like uh, uh, Cliff Richard in the, in the UK. And, of course, the only way to reach them was by the phone. They sacked me from for running the phone bill up too high. I did get these people as guests, yep. but they sacked me because the phone bill was too high. So setting my sights this time round on on the likes of John Oates or Jim Messina or um, Alice Cooper or yep. you know a, a million and one others that you can think of, and for me to find them at home with nothing better to do, um, Steve Lukather from Toto go yeah okay we'll have a chat. I started to accumulate some fabulous guests. And as you'd well know, once you've got a few under your belt, the rest of them go, oh, look, she, they've talked to her. We'll talk to her too. And uh, it continues today, I'm very happy to say. Well, the nicest thing about it is that they are so open and they are such 
for the most part, such warm people as well. So the people that you've mentioned, for instance, um, uh, Luke, Steve Lukather. I had a chat with him even before I was a podcaster. I had a chat with him because I was fascinated in the story behind the making of uh, Beat It by Michael Jackson. And then when he tells you the story of how that backing track was created, it's incredible. And his his book is really it's really good autobiography as ah. well. Uh, his book, what is it? The the Gospel According to Luke, I think ah, it's called. I have not his seen book. it. Oh, okay. And that's an incredible autobiography. And the people that he's worked with. But it's the fact that as a fan of these people, you might think to yourself, Oh, I don't know, are they going to be a bit difficult? And then they surprise you almost every time by being just warm, welcoming. And I think I think the whole thing with the world going into lockdown, in a way, actually made this a lot easier in a sense, because like you said, they were stuck at home, unable to go to work and do what they do for a living out there in, in the world and do the world tours. And I think because that became a thing during the two years or so of the lockdown across the world, it's become norm normality now, and it's a lot easier to actually do it. I think that's actually changed things. I totally agree. I mean, being able to do Zoom interviews like this is yeah. is a, a much more friendly medium than talking to somebody on the phone. You can connect with somebody visually, which automatically makes you feel like you're sitting in the same room with them. And I hope as a result of that, well, I've been told through my own feedback that comes in via email and social media that what I'm offering up, and I know you are too, are these warm fireside chats with these people. And I think that the medium through which we're doing them has a lot to do with that, that is responsible for that. I mean, also the whole world of opening up with podcasts, having yeah. long form interviews with them, they've had to make themselves more accessible to get their messages out. I mean, I've been knocked back by, by artists I've tried to contact who simply have nothing to sell. And I guess that's understandable too. Why would they want to talk with you if there's nothing in it for them just to uh, although, I mean, there's always something in it for them because if you're playing their music and talking about their music, that will just equal, you know, even if it's an extra $2 that they get in streams. But uh, the medium itself, I think, has changed a lot. But interestingly, I mean, you and I are now talking on, on Zoom video and yep. it's much easier when you can see somebody's face. Some of them, and I wonder if you experience same, say to me, oh, no, sorry, audio only. Yeah. And you know some of the some of the women in fact uh, I remember Katie Tunstall who kind of went against my grain because a breath of fresh air is concentrates pretty solely on 60s 70s and 80s artists and yet there was something about KT Tunstall that I oh I think it was because she she was on Gilbert O'Sullivan's latest album that I brought her in uh, he had covid at the time and couldn't speak and and the manager said to me oh no KT won't do video, only audio. And when she got on to the Zoom, I said, Katie, why won't you let me see your face? And she said, oh, I can. And she turned on the video and she had yep. uh, a, a foils in her hair. She was in the middle of getting highlights done to her hair and she was wearing this turban. It didn't matter. She looks gorgeous. I said, yep. why would you be shy to show me your face? She said, oh, I think the management was just trying to protect me or something. But it becomes such a more personal, intimate chat when you can see someone's face. And, of course, that we're only able to do 
more recently than we than we used to. I mean, it was all on the phone before, and uh, that's harder down a crackly phone line to kind of make a connection and 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 keep a chat going, isn't it? It is, but you can also see when you if you watch body language, you can see when people are thinking and they have something on their mind. So you know to finish what you're saying and lead them into being able to respond to that as well. It's nice to have yeah. that actual visual thing to notice, visual yeah, cue. But certainly makes it easier not to cut in on top of one another when you're in a phone conversation. I mean, the amount of times that you try and edit out when you've come in halfway on someone's answer, you think they're finished speaking and you've asked the next question and, and it keeps getting mucked up. Yeah, totally. Much, much better. I, I love this medium. And when you said to me that some of my conversations have been shorter, you're 100% right. Uh, up until probably the last six or nine months, I hadn't paid for a Zoom subscription. Okay. So I was limited to the 40 minutes that Zoom would give you. And sometimes Zoom would let you go over that 40 minutes and not penalise you, and sometimes it would cut you off. So I was always so conscious of the time length I had on Zoom. It was really silly trying to save those few pennies, really. So my shorter conversations, I, and also the other thing I was trying to do with my show, it started off and still is a radio show. So yep. although it's a 52-minute podcast, it is the exact same podcast that is a radio show that goes out to 150 radio stations around the world. So the radio stations get it in three parts, in three segments where they can put their ads in between. And what I started off doing was three different artists every single week. So in the three segments, I would give you a, a taste of one would be Peter Frampton in 18 minutes, one would be Joan Armitrading the next 18 minutes, one would be somebody else the next 16 minutes. And, of course, then the conversations were much tighter and much more heavily edited. Uh, I've gone back and started to use those interviews and broaden them out again to allow them to breathe and allow them to, to run the full 52 minutes. But trying to put three guests into one show once a week was absolutely crazy. I was spending my entire week doing this. I would wake up every morning thinking about the podcast. I have to say I still pretty much do that. Yeah. And I would go to bed every night thinking about the, the show. I pretty much do that still too. But it was taking every waking minute that I had and sometimes in the middle of the night waking up thinking about guests or questions or who was going to be on next week or how I would, how I would do something. So that was ridiculous because it was running my life. Uh, my partner, who was a long-term uh, television producer said to me, you can't keep this up. You, I mean, and I live a corporate life as well as a journalist at the same time. We do a lot yeah. of media training and presentation training here. So I was trying to fit in my regular day job with trying to push this out once a week. Now I've brought it down to one guest a week and uh, it works much better. I can have a long conversation. I can play it out pretty much as it happens to my audience and I think it's much more enjoyable. It's enjoyable. It's certainly much more layback and and relaxing than trying to make a punchy radio show that that kind of keeps moving really quickly in the same way that we were making radio back in the eighties. Well, it must be more comfortable for the guest as well because, I mean, back in the day they would have been. I mean, 
people have seen film footage and this that and the other where you've got like these big these stars would be there at a press conference for instance and they're sat at a desk or behind a desk all of them and you've just got loads of seats full of the media sort of shouting or, or clamoring to ask a question whereas a lot of the time they're at home they're in their own surroundings so that must be more comfortable for them and must allow for them to be a bit more relaxed, I would have thought. Yeah, I agree with that. And also all of these podcasts are pre-recorded by their very nature. And if, you know, you are, I always assure my guests that if we go off stray or they say something I don't like or there's a question they don't want to answer, they don't have to. And I won't use it. I'm not here to be a, an investigative journalist and do a number on them. Um, I wonder if the, I mean, the British press are well known for doing that. I wonder if any of them are doing those cutting edge, uh, cutthroat podcasts. But podcasts, by the very definition, are not like that. They are just relaxed chats. So, yes, I think you're right. They would be very much more relaxed. Can I tell you my favorite story about a, a press conference that I attended? Go on. Back in the late 70s, I was, I was headhunted. I became Sydney. Sydney, Australia's first female newsreader. And I've gone along to work there. And I had two idols that I grew up with loving. One was Elvis. I never got to meet or or see in concert, unfortunately. The other was Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali was coming to Sydney. He was at the top of his game. He wasn't sick yet. And he was coming to do a press conference in one of the hotels in Sydney. So I went with my little car and my cassette recorder at the time and sat with the awaiting media for the big man to come on down. Well, he was taking a little bit of time, so I tapped my buddy on the shoulder who was then working for 60 Minutes Television, and I said, come with me, let's find his room. So I can't remember exactly how we found Muhammad Ali's room. I do remember knocking at the door, and the big man opened the door, and he said, you go, you stay. And, of course, Michael had to go off to the other awaiting press And I went in the room with my tape recorder and sat down with him on a couch where for the next two hours he gave me this whole dissertation, Motivation by Muhammad Ali. Actually, I just found that cassette not long ago. I must get it digitised and I could put that out as a podcast too now that I think of it. And he, he did all of these station IDs for me. Hi, this is Muhammad Ali for, it was called 2WS at the time. It was incredible. By the time I came down with him to the awaiting media, oh, they were all so angry. They'd just been sitting there for hours and I had gold on my cassette. It was fabulous. So uh, there are ways around those press conferences too. And what a great man to get two hours with as well because, you know, some people nowadays wouldn't realise just looking at him and thinking, oh, he's a boxer, but he was so much more than that. In his heyday, he had such an incredible brain and his his philosophy was amazing and the the things that he said and his way was just, there was a certain certain thing that attracted you to him. There's these icons that have this sort of spirit about them that you can feel there and it, it radiates from them. 
Completely. I mean, not only did he have an incredible aura, he he lit up the room when you walked in. I mean, not only because of his stature, but but the energy, the enthusiasm, and as you say, his philosophy on life was incredible. Actually, now you now you've reminded me about that. I'm really going to pull that out and make an episode of of a breath of fresh air with Muhammad Ali. Um, he, he was incredible, and he was all about the power of positive thinking, of believing in yourself, of of persistence, of whatever you want you can get if you keep going with it because that's what he had grown up with and, of yeah. course, proven in his own life that, that that was the way it could be. He was an amazing person with a very sad demise, unfortunately. Absolutely. Hey, this is Brian with Concerts That Made Us podcast, and you're listening to Pods Like Us, a great show about other great shows. So we've done the history of the podcast, and you've done the history of your your broadcasting history as well. So how were you introduced to podcasts? Were Were you listening to them anyway, as a as somebody anyway before before starting this? I think the only podcasts I listened to at the time were new news podcasts. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know anything about the podcasting world, having come from broadcast and still pushing this show out um, through radio stations. I guess I just stumbled into it, really. I thought one day oh, I'll just put this up as a podcast. So I put it up on Anchor, where it still lives at the moment, despite a lot of people saying that Anchor's a, a terrible host. I'm not quite sure why. I mean, I I don't know about you, but my podcast makes very, very, very little money. It doesn't even pay the production costs. So it's been bleeding money from the very beginning, which is okay. It's my passion project and, and I do it my way and I, it'll continue to be my passion project. But I put it up as a podcast to begin with, not knowing very much about podcasting at all. And I started reading voraciously about how you do this because it's so very different from broadcast media. I mean, how you grow a podcast, I had no idea. I still am not very sure. You get to a, a plateau level and I, I feel like I've maxed out my Facebook audience, for example. I don't. I feel like I'm preaching to the converted every time I tell them what my next episode's going to be. Um, I'm, I'm not very... Uh, I, I'm not very uh, popular on Twitter. I haven't built an audience there as yet and uh, Instagram. There's so much work to do around a podcast. There is. If it was as simple as I like to create the show and put it yeah. out there, uh, my you know if I if anybody would ever throw a whole lot of money at me, what I would do with that money is pay a social media manager right from the very beginning because having to do all the marketing is an awful task and you can't grow, I believe, unless you market it. So I'm not a marketer. I'm a no. content provider. I'm a journalist. And it, I, that's the most difficult thing. It's been a really strange phenomenon for me to be coming from a world of traditional media that I've been in for some 40-odd years that I know how to navigate into this new form of media that I have no idea what I'm doing in there or how to do it. Thank goodness for people people like yourself who are embracing me as part of their community and and kind of guiding me a little bit because I'm an old-fashioned gal. This is a, a modern business which is populated mainly by young people, I believe. I mean, my show, A Breath of Fresh Air, that appeals 
well, that, that contains music and interviews from the 60s, 70s and 80s is pitched at an audience that would have to be 50 plus. You, you know, there'd be, a, I've got a few younger listeners that they're probably, I've been told, tradesmen who like the old style music and, and interviews, but it's mainly 50 plus and mainly men, I'm finding out. I'm, I'm not quite sure why that is too. Perhaps men are more into music than women. But if you're talking about maybe the 50 to 60 age bracket know about podcasts, if you go beyond 60, how many of them know what a podcast is or how to access <laughs> podcasts or listen yeah. to podcasts? Unless their children or grandchildren, dare I say, are showing them this new world. Once they discover it, though, they're absolutely in love with podcasts because, as you and I know, they're so easy to access. You put your headphones on and, and go walk the dog or drive the car or anything else that you're doing, do your ironing or whatever, and you can yeah. listen to it whenever you feel like it. But it's a tough audience to crack that I'm hoping more and more elderly older age people will get a handle of as as years go by. But in the meantime, I feel like my job of documenting these artists from this period is a pretty important one because I've already lost, well, the world has already lost so many of them that I've got in my collection and more and more will lose these guys. So documenting their lives as I'm trying to do, I feel like is, is a very worthwhile pursuit. Yep, that's one of the best things. I mean, you you remind me there of um, we, we, he's a he's a friend of both of us of Jason Barnard, and with his show, The Strange Brew, I think of that the same sort of way. Where a lot of the guests that he's got, he's getting this gold where he's getting these people where their stories need to be out there, and you're doing the same with these people, like the Peter Noon, Peter Noon, this story needs to get out there, and. Yeah. And all these people, really, I mean, um, you know, you had Graham Goldman on as well, and he's one of the great, one of the great underknown or underrealized songwriters of all time. But very few people realize these people, what they've done in a way. And the fact that you're bringing light to this and Jason does as well with his show is a great thing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I love Jason's show. I love The Strange Brew. There are not too many in doing our exact thing, I'm finding. I guess that's a good thing. Um, the other one that I've got coming up is Roger Cook, who is also a prolific songwriter uh, and very unknown. I mean, unless you have, you know, the thousands of records that Roger helped write and he gets a credit on each one of them, you probably wouldn't even know all of the songs that he's worked on and, and brought to light. So he currently lives in Nashville. He was a fabulous interview. I've got that one coming up soon. Another one, and, and I, I think um, Jason only tackles, and you've got so many in the UK to go to. I'm not sure he looks outside the UK for talent, uh, but I, I try and bring the Americans and sometimes Canadians and a few Australians into play also. Uh, I'm, I'm very aware that the world hasn't heard of a lot of our iconic players but there's a couple that I'm going to bring out because I think that they should be made known but uh um uh what was I going to say oh people like Sergio Mendes you know he's yeah. these people are at they're still going but they're at the pointy end of their careers and uh I guess what's in interest what what's an interest for them to do these podcasts too is to leave that legacy behind, to be able to put it all in one package 
uh, and tell their story, hopefully, to a younger generation so that uh, they're also aware of these great talents. Absolutely. So what sort of, I mean, how do you just do that then? Do you just go online and you find these these people and then you just send them messages or how do you actually get these guests? Or is it a mixture of that and contacting agents occasionally and managers? Yeah, um, it is all of that. Um, uh, I've got a lot of PR contacts, having yep. worked in the business for a long time. Um, I've made a lot of uh, publicist and management friends, both in the UK and the US, and of course here in Australia too, and and Canada. Uh, so often I'll go through them, but they're they only handle and offer you up people when those people are trying to sell something, when they've got a new album coming out or a new book coming out. I mean, Peter Frampton, for example, took me ages to get because until he had something to sell, which was the book of of late. He didn't want to talk to anybody. Once he had the book, it was still difficult for me to get him because you can imagine how all the media in America were lining up to get him. But finally, I did get my chance with him. So, yes, a lot of management, a lot of PR contacts, and often through the artist's social media themselves. So through their Facebook uh, that's not managed by them, but I'll often say, can you give me the right uh, contact details? Or through their own websites. And it often requires a lot of follow-up. I mean, I keep lists. I'm not very good with lists, but I keep lists of who I've approached when and when I need to follow up again and follow up again. I mean, I have to be very careful not to make a nuisance of myself. And if they tell me blankly, no, not interested, so I put a line through them. Uh, Others will say to me, oh, you know, Three Dog Night are doing something early in the year, contact us then. Okay, Mickey Dolan's is... We'll be happy to speak to you, uh, you know, midway through the year. So I've got a note call back then. The, the the person I'm having the most trouble with, and I guess that's where the challenge really comes in from me because I'm a bit like a terrier or a dog with a bone. Once I'm onto the sniff of it, I'm not letting go until I've got it, is trying to get Donovan. And yes. uh, Donovan has proved very difficult. I've developed a relationship with his uh, PA and it's been going now for the past two and a half years that I've been chatting to him intermittently. The last time I reached out to him, the poor guy was completely stressed. He told me that he was on a major tour with a, a, a one of the world's best-known rock bands. He wouldn't tell me who it was, but one could only guess. And uh, he was working 24 hours a day and it was crazy. He was so hectic. He couldn't possibly entertain my request now he said Donovan is inundated with requests and he only takes a handful a month I said okay just keep me on that list and and it's time I went back to to this guy now and and said "Mm, Donovan give me Donovan and uh, I mean Donovan is getting up there in age too it's uh, you know I wish him a long life but they can pop off the perch at any time as we as we're seeing every single day we're losing more of these guys aren't we We are, absolutely. Every week 
on Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast, we go into the history, the chart facts, and discuss every song ELO officially released. We even consult with the future of humanity on their opinion of the music. We also go into music by the groups that eventually became ELO. Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast, can be found on many podcasting sites. And join our YouTube channel, the Electric Light Orchestra podcast channel, for exclusive episodes. It's a beautiful So originally, like you said, in in a sense, when you first started, the show was almost as a lot of media would call it, almost a magazine style show, essentially, where you would have different sections to the show. And then it gradually changed over time, like you said, to become the long form chat show. Yeah. Yeah. I started off actually trying to put six segments into the 52 minutes, which is the way we would have done it on radio. So I had a music news segment. I had new music. I had, uh, I tried to foster local Australian acts that were releasing albums so I could highlight them as well. Uh, We did movie and TV reviews too. So can you imagine the work in trying to put all of these segments? I love that. I thought that the magazine format was fabulous. It was really fast-paced. And it moved along and and had a whole lot of content in it. It was just impossible for one little person to produce every single week and and get it all done. It was just, I I think I wouldn't have lived if I'd kept doing that. It was crazy. But, I mean, that was the way we did radio. So I was copying the format. I did get into trouble. And this was long before I understood the format of podcasting. I did an interview at the time with Gina Shock, the drummer from the Go-Go's. Yeah. And I had told them that it was for radio show and podcast and did the interview. And I spoke to her for, you know, I don't know, 40 minutes and used about six minutes of her plus music. And the publicist came back to me and and she was horrified that I'd used so little of her. And I said, no, but that was the radio show. That's what we do. I mean, they're 10-minute segments maximum in this show. And, of course, that's not the basis on which she'd given me the interview at all. So I've just gone back now and and have used the extended version of Gina Shock, which uh, that interview will be coming out in a couple of weeks to uh, to do her justice because it was a fabulous interview, to be fair, and I didn't understand the nature of podcasting then, that it could be relaxed and elongated and anything goes. Well, in a way, you've made it sort of easier for you, you, yourself because, like you said, essentially, you back when you started, you were essentially trying to research six different shows because each section you have to do different work for each of those different sections. Correct. Whereas this, you've just got to do the interview. Which, I mean, I say you've just got to do the interview. Even that is a thing on it of its own to be able to ask the right questions and not go into sticky areas as well, which we're not going to go into, but occasionally with some artists, you have to avoid certain subjects as well. Um, I mean, you have discussed someone offline about that before, and I'm not going to say who Correct. it was that you had a, that you had a chat with once. You know, I, I'm not interested in their controversy. No. And I think the, the controversies are the salacious bits that the – uh, that the the magazines, the newspapers pick up on. I, I, I'm not interested in talking about that stuff with them. I'm following my nose in all of these interviews as a as a 15 year old fan would do, yep. wanting to 
know, you know, what they were thinking when they wrote that song, what the song was about, what, why were they writing it, how did it come about, how did they get it into their head, what the songwriting process is. What, you know, were they destined to be a musician? I tend to ask pretty much the same questions of all my guests. Uh, I'm, I mean, I get sick of hearing my own questions. They only hear them once. But I'm interested in their life stories, how they evolved to become a musician, how they rose to, to be um, f- famous and, and in the public eye, how surprised they were that their songs took off, what their reactions were. Many of them tell me that they stop their car in the middle of the road when they first hear themselves on the radio that very first time, what they did with the money that was coming in. Some of them have, you know, spent it wildly and have nothing to show for it anymore. Some of the management stole the money and they had nothing to to, to speak of anymore. I mean, Joey Mullen from Badfinger, they were yeah. ripped off completely. That was a common story back in the day when, when, the, when the musicians themselves who were often in their late teens or early 20s had no idea of business. They were just into making music and, and having girlfriends. So I like to follow their stories, their lives, to see how they've evolved, and I love to see what they're doing today. Often I like to see how they've handled coming down from these incredible heights. You know, many of them um, talk to me about realising that it would be a short-term career, that they'd hit the top, and that, of course, after the top comes the bottom. It's a roller coaster ride. All of them are totally surprised that their music is still relevant 50-something years later. They can't believe that they're still being played on the radio or that there's still an interest in their music. There's a documentary, have you seen, Marv? I just had a look at it the other day. It's on Paramount Plus called um, Sometimes When We Touch. Okay. The the, uh, Rise, Ruin and Resurrection of Soft Rock. So soft rock was the music of the 70s. It's all, you know, the America, the Kenny Loggins, the the Dan Hill. It's called Sometimes When We Touch. And Dan Hill himself became my very good friend since interviewing him in the in the at the start of my show. Yeah. So this this really documents how that music became popular in the first place. And I kind of cut out in the 80s after the disco era had come through. When we get to the 90s, as I said earlier, I was busy with children and working and doing all of that. But I never knew that the rappers of the day did what's called sampling of that 70s music, made turned that music into their own, but it was basically the same music. So, you know, the Kanye Wests and everything doing 70s songs And that's what led to the resurgence of what now is called Yacht Rock, which is huge in America. It's not known by that term here yet in Australia. I'm not sure about in the UK, but if it's not, it will be. So I like to go into their stories to see what they're doing now. I mean, people like Dan Hill, whose biggest hit was sometimes when we touched when he was 19 years old, he has written a few songs for the likes of Celine Dion and, and others, but it's never been as big for him now he's nearly 70 years old as it was for him when he was 20. So what's he doing now? He is still trading off those days. He is still writing songs and he's appearing on documentaries like that one that have have a new interest from younger generations because of the rappers. So he's finding himself relevant again. 
Well, that's the great thing about music is that it will. That it's always a cycle. So eventually, what was will come back. It's a bit. Um, there's a Paul McCartney lyric in one of his songs, "Vintage Clothes," where he says, "What what was once will come." Well, he does basically say that the clothes of then they do come back eventually because it's it's called retro and nostalgia and people will bring that's these right. things back vintage yeah and well, it happens with old is all new things again, isn't it yes yeah that's actually the line yeah. what was old is now new yeah i love that so if you hang on to your clothes and your records and everything else long enough your children and your grandchildren will just want to to grab them all that's right i'm sure somebody mm. will want all my jazz records eventually Absolutely. I gave away my poor ex-husband. He had this amazing collection of vinyl with some really precious records in there. And somehow in my 20s, in a moment of stupidity, I figured that these records were taking up too much space. So I took them down to the to the record store and said, here, you have them all. I didn't even ask him for any money. And some of them were complete collector's items. Right. Uh, he was he was very angry with me. And I guess it was no surprise that years later we were divorced. What an idiot I was. Dear me, dear me. <laughs> so how is is it basically the recording and the editing of the show? Is that just you doing the show, recording it on Zoom, and then you top and tail it with the music and add in bits, and that's that's it? Basically, the whole conversation is there. So is, is that it, or do you do editing as well? Oh, no, I definitely edit the show. I uh, I record on Zoom and through my Zoom recorder, so I've got WAV files to back up the Zoom meeting, uh, but I much prefer to edit from the face-to-face Zoom. It's much more interesting than than editing just the audio. Uh, hopefully it's always good enough quality. It's a bit dicey sometimes. Um, I had my intros, outros and, and sweepers made by a professional uh, disc jockey here who helped me out and I send the files to an audio engineer in Brazil uh, online uh, who uh, mixes and masters for me because if I had to worry about levels and, and sounds and things, I'd be in big trouble. So I set the whole timeline, send him the, the timeline as is. I do my in points and out points for all the music and he assembles everything for me and and sweetens it all for me in Brazil and sends it back as a complete package. So he's also put what he says is a 70s filter over the top of the show to give it an even more 70s sort of sound. Um, I, I haven't got as, as an acute an ear for that as what he has, but maybe somebody else listening has. Anyway, he does a fabulous job. So I'm very, very pleased that the whole that the whole program is packaged so professionally. I pride myself on that professionalism. I spend hours taking out the ums and ahs and the, you know, the, the, the bits that I don't want in there. And uh, I'm very happy with the packages that that I put out there. It's my name going on to that, so I can't put out a, a suboptimal package. Absolutely. And and the music as well, you know, the, you've got his uh, beautiful day, is it with, um, oh, is that Michael Bublé? It is Michael Bublé yeah. into, in that package. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And, and is, is there and, you two in there as well? I think so. Actually, I've yeah. never even asked him. I think oh, you're right. Okay. Who, is, who he's got in that? He just built it for me. I, yep, that sounds good. 
Um, and it's that's kind of been my calling card for as long as I've been doing it. So I, w- I wanted to change it at one stage. And I said, yeah, why change something if it's not broken? It works. And I do get an awful lot of feedback from listeners who love the show. I think it makes great listening because it's it's not only these guys' lives, but it goes through their music too. And they talk about the songs and then we hear a portion of that that song also to yeah. remind us and take us back. So uh, if it wasn't me, I'd be very happy to listen to this podcast. And you know what? Even though it is me, I still listen to it. <laughs> I have to listen to it. But the music's great because it 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 works perfectly with the show because there's a positivity from beginning to end. And even the music intro and outro and all the interstitials, all those keep that, shall I say, happy, positive flow going all the way through the show. Yeah, it's called a breath of fresh air for a reason. That's what we were trying to do, make people's day a little bit happier, take you back to the time when you were a teenager or in your 20s and take you back to your first kiss or your, your dance at your wedding or or any times. I mean, the music conjures such incredible memories. So hearing from these artists and hearing their music should just take you back to that place or indeed make your day here, it, today and now, a little bit happier for for uh, for sampling that, for listening to that show. So I hope I'm doing my job well. It seems to me I am because, as I said, I'm, I am getting lots of feedback. I often ask people who they'd like to hear for, from because I love to track down and chat with the people that, that people want to hear from. And what I often do is put that listener on with the person they've requested. So that's a lot of fun too if we can work the time zones and I can bring together you know, a guy recently comes to mind from regional Victoria. He lives out in the country somewhere in, in Victoria here in Australia. And he says to me that he's grown up loving Jennifer Warnes, the, the fabulous American yep. singer and, and actress. And uh, I put him on with her and he was all, good day, Jennifer, yes. how are you? He was so shy. <laughs> he was just gorgeous. You know, I can't believe I'm talking to you, Jennifer. <laughs> And she just entertained that. Or I put a, a lady from Sydney on with, with Dennis Locarieri from Dr. Hook. Yes. And she's just yep. grown up loving him. So I said, come on, Shane, is there something you've always wanted to ask Dennis? And she, you know, pre-prepared a couple of questions that she'd always had in mind for him. I put out on Facebook this week asking for people who have questions who remember Bobby Sherman, who, you know, what did you want to know about Bobby Sherman? Is there something you'd want to ask him? And I've got a list of questions that I'm going to take to him as soon as I hang up on this line from you. Okay. There's there's a message to me. So, <laughs> and then the uh, then there's the logo with, with with yourself on the logo as well. Was was that yourself that made that, or somebody else made that for you? Um, well, I've got two. I've got the the one with me. My daughter just took the photo, and we we just did that at home on Canva. Uh, there is another one now that I, I sent out to Fiverr, you know, that platform that that have people mainly in Asia and the Philippines and Vietnam and the like where graphic designers will do a design for you quite in, uh, affordably. So it's, a, it's a, a round circle that says a breath of fresh air and inside that circle is filled with musical notes and I guess that that speaks volumes. And then it has my tagline on it too, which is their lives their stories, their music. That's what Absolutely. it's all about. What a great tagline. This is an awful question. How dare you ask this, Marv? 
Go ahead. Have you got any standout moments from from the show so far? Um, when I spoke to Graham Nash from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, I was quite amazed at how nervous I got because I'm not usually nervous talking to these people, but something about him, I must have loved Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young more than others. The same thing happened to me when I spoke to Mickey Dolans. I became that smitten 14-year-old that I once was. Um what, what oh gosh, there's so many, and they start to blend all all in one. Um Peter Frampton was a big highlight for me. I really enjoyed speaking to him and I was blown away by how warm and friendly he was, how real he was. Uh, oh, Gordon Lightfoot was another interesting experience. I chased him for the better part of two years until they finally let me speak to him. And when I did speak to him, it was on the phone and it was like speaking to somebody's grandfather with their hearing aid out. Yeah. It was awful it was the heaviest editing job I ever had to do I wasn't sure I'd be able to get very much out of it at all it was quite a a disappointment um but you know he's 83 years old Uh, completely contrary to that speaking to Dion DiMucci was in, in incredible he's also 83 years old and he is so with it and making music these days with people like Bruce Springsteen and uh, Joan Armatrading and um, a whole lot of people on his latest album, all relevant, current, younger artists. He was the most vivacious, the most together, the the brightest, sparkling 83-year-old I've ever spoken to, gave me a lot of hope. Noel Paul Stuckey from Peter, Paul and Mary, Yep. He was also, he's also, I think he's also 83 actually, was was amazing, was so deep and warm and friendly and real and down to earth. I felt like, and we have become quite friendly as a result of that interview. And uh, my friend Dan Hill, who became my friend as a result of the fact that he cried through a lot of my interview when talking about the inspiration for Sometimes When We Touch, the girl that broke his heart, more than 50 years later, he can still cry to that. He's such a wonderfully sensitive man. He was also a highlight. Will that do you, Marv? It will. I will quickly say that uh, when you spoke with uh, Walter Trout, uh, the one that went out there, that was such an emotional interview for, for me to listen to because, I mean, I, I know what happened with him and the fact that he spoke openly about the adversity he went he went through after after his illness it, and and that and that what he had to go through to have to learn to play the instrument all over again and and to be able to do the the business that was an incredibly uplifting yeah you know chat yeah yeah he was sensational positive messages it's all about what i can leave the audience with if if, if stories like walter trout's affect people like you and anybody else listening and help them deal with their own lives, with the problems in them, then that's wonderful. Paul Williams was another one who talks yeah. about getting sober and all the the, the uh, trouble he had when he was under the influence of alcohol and drugs and how he pulled himself out of that. They are very uplifting stories. They're wonderful. Hi, this is Zach from Belated Binge Harry Potter, and you're listening to Pods Like Us. So what advice would you give to people starting a podcast themselves? 
don't, <laughs> don't. It's, it's a lot of work. 24 hours a day, seven days a week to do it. Don't start. No, I shouldn't say that. Um, it's certainly much more of a commitment than I ever envisaged it would be. But, uh, okay, so serious advice you want, Martin. I would say all the usual things. Make sure you've got professional equipment, that you, your voice is sounding good, that your connection to the guest is good so that your audio is great. Make sure that you um, are competent with editing or at least learn to be so that it seems like a seamless conversation because as all podcasters know, it's not a seamless conversation. It has to be edited so that it seems like that. Yeah. Um, make sure that you have interesting guests. Make sure that you as a host come from the position as a listener, that yep. you don't necessarily enter the conversation with a list of questions, but rather follow what your guest is saying. And that's how we do conversation. We don't come in with a list of questions necessarily knowing where we want to head in that conversation. I mean, sometimes we have an agenda yep. and we want to get that out, but the conversation is determined by what the guest has to say. And it's what the guest has to say that's all important. Although you can lead the guest, obviously, into different areas. So I would say that. Um, what else would I say? Mm. Make sure that you have interesting topics that you want to cover and and therefore have the guests that can speak to those topics. It has to be interesting to a wide listening audience, no matter how interesting you think it's going to be. If it only appears interesting to a very niche audience, your podcast is never going to be successful. Um, in saying that, you also need to be prepared to do all the follow-up stuff. Once you've produced up this podcast and you're happy with it, you also need to do all the work on social media, the marketing work. Yeah. And uh, for me, that's the really unpleasant work. I hate doing all the social media marketing. I mean, I'm happy to tell people my episode's up, but to have to keep pushing it and, and drive new listeners to it drives me crazy. Make sure that you don't go into this business thinking that you're going to make any money out of it because I don't think that you are, at least not not uh, from the get-go. No. All of the um, all of the interviews that I've listened to, the, the podcasts that talk about making podcasts, say that it takes you around three years before you yeah. can expect to make any money from it, which shocked the bedazzles out of me when I first started doing this. Um, it's a passion project. I think yep. for most people it's a passion project that you have to remain consistent about. You have to show up every single week at the same time to start gathering momentum, unless you don't care about getting an audience. If you're doing it for your own um, for your own heart, then I guess it doesn't matter. But if you want to if you really want to build an audience and start to make a little bit of money, out of it, then you've got to be in it for the long term and you've got to do all the things that they say to build an audience, which takes me back to be prepared to put 24-7, seven days a week into it. Absolutely. So I haven't got this on the list, actually, and I should have done. 
What what Wait. shows do you listen to yourself? Um, I listen to a variety of shows, but I have to say that I haven't got as much time as I would like to to listen to other people's podcasts. Yep. I listen to, hang on, I'll tell you while, while I check my library as we speak. Um, I listen to some really kind of obscure ones. Like I, I always listen to the BBC Global News podcast. That's my daily news one. Yeah. I listen to uh, an American one called Podcasting Business School. I listen to School of Podcasting, another yeah. one. Yeah. I listen to Pod News, the weekly review, um, to hear what's new in podcasting. I listen to, I like kind of holistic medicine. So I listen to an American one called The People's Pharmacy that I've been listening to for a long time that talks about all sorts of holistic stuff and interviews all sorts of medicos. Uh, I interview, I interview, I listen to um, Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt with the Rock Rock on Turs coming out of the UK. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to one called Sonic Impact that does a few good things. But I listen to a friend of mine uh, does one out of the US called Back to the 80s Radio. So I listen a little bit to them. Sometimes I listen to the story behind the song another one out of the US and uh, I'm getting oh and I love um I love Alec Baldwin's here's the thing that I yeah. tune into sometimes and I also tune in sometimes to broken record um also out of the US which uh, Rick Rubin uh, Rick Rubin gets some yeah. fantastic guests yeah. yeah that's about the extent of my listening sh- listenership I think of course I listen to yours too but that goes without saying. <laughs> Thank you. You've, you've listened to Jason's show as well, haven't you, a few times? Oh, at Strange Brew. Strange yes, Brew. of course. Yes, and, of course. And, he and yep. I tend to parallel each other quite a bit, although he tends to stick with UK bands and I go a little bit more um, more globally. I tend to feature ones uh, from the US and the UK, a little bit of Canada and a little bit of Australia too to introduce my audience to perhaps some unknown ones. Yeah, and another um, another friend that we both have is uh, Ken from the Comfortable Spot. Yes, thank you for yeah. reminding me. Yes, of course, I listen to Ken too. Yeah, we've got a great little network of podcasters, and if you were to ask me what the best thing about podcasting is, one of the best things is definitely the network of friends that you make as a result, people doing yeah. the same thing as you're doing, all trying to make it, all going through the same mechanical processes in putting their podcast together. So, yes, Ken, from the comfortable spot, I love his work too. Thanks for reminding me, Mark. That's fine. There's a good interview with Sandy on that show, by the way, if anyone's interested. (laughs) It might be a bit better than the one that you're currently picking up, given that I feel like I'm half asleep. So apologies if I'm a little incoherent. Yeah, we're on different sides of the world to each other. In case you haven't noticed. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I certainly have. But um, out of interest, have you heard uh, any of the show that Ken does with his daughter, Lydia, the, the Booktastic podcast? That is no, so sweet. Is it? No, I haven't heard that. That's a very lovely idea. So she she critiques or reviews children's books and has Ken on as her co-host 
and they just talk about children's books and then she interviews occasionally children's books authors as well famous ones and um it almost turns into chaos when the younger daughter shows up to guest on the show because then it's it's just they've got both daughters almost driving almost driving ken crazy yeah, I can imagine when I was doing a radio show some years ago, my my daughter, who's now uh, in her early 30s, was about nine years old at the time. And uh, I got her onto my radio show to start reviewing restaurants. We'd be at so many family restaurants uh, that I thought, well, you may as well start doing the review. So she had her own segment as a nine-year-old talking about various restaurants here in Melbourne and what she liked and didn't like about the food and the service and and the menu it was great that would go really well as a podcast too wouldn't it it would there you go yeah she's a bit she's a bit older than nine now so she can't do it now (laughs) i'll have to wait for my granddaughter to grow up a bit that's right that's a good idea (laughs) so where Mm. can people find you and get hold of you then sandy oh that's so kind of you so i do have a website and it is a breathoffreshair.com.au. You have to put the AU in because that's for Australia and that's where I'm coming out of. Um, my podcast is on every major platform that I could possibly think of and listed on. Uh, I do have a radio show that goes out to about 150 radio stations right around the globe. So I'm not sure which ones uh, people could find me on in various areas that are listening now, but if if you wanted to, you can definitely search that. You'll find the stations I'm on. In fact, many of them are listed on my website as well. Um, I'm I have a big presence on Facebook, which is uh, Facebook as Sandy K Presents. Similarly, Twitter, a smaller following, and Instagram as well. And I've just started up on TikTok. They're all telling me I have to do TikTok as well now. So that's another few hours of my day gone, cutting up <laughs> interviews and putting stuff up there too. Oh, it's very tiring, isn't it? It really but, is. Uh, if you want, if you want people to find you, you've got to be out there to be found, don't you, Martin? That's true. For anybody wanting to know, it's sandykpresents.com.au. Well, that's another website too. Uh, that's more of my media training, presentation training, corporate sort of website. Okay. Yeah, that website really goes to my uh, corporate hat because that's uh, who I am in another life when I've got time to actually work and make money. But the uh, a breathoffreshair.com.au is where you'll find all my episodes and a bit of a blog about all of my guests as well as be able to listen to all of the back episodes as well. And there are some sensational guests to listen to, really, really, really good ones over time. I can't speak highly enough about some of the ones that I've managed to get a hold of and will continue to get a hold of because (laughs) once you're on this little um, treadmill, you really can't jump off. Well, we've already mentioned some of those, such as uh, Graham Nash. And since we talked uh, or since we spoke, you, you put out the extended interview that you had with that person from the go-go's as well was it all oh gina shock from the go-go's that's right there was an extended one with uh, rick wakeman as well coming up i've got um um i've just cut one with uh, roger wood who's a who's an english songwriter who partnered with roger greenaway to produce some of the best known hits in the world that's that'll be coming up almost as we speak 
Um, I've got one with Arthur Brown, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown, who's a fascinating chat. Uh, I'm holding some goodies back. I've got Bobby Sherman, who yes. was a great guest. Yeah. Um, I've been chasing him. I was chasing him for a couple of years, finally got him with his wife, and his wife wouldn't let him appear on camera, which was unfortunate, but um, what can you do? That's right. Yeah, there's some there's some goodies. You'll have to stay tuned and pay attention. Yep. Necessary listening for everybody out there. Uh-huh. Anyway, you can find pods like us on all streaming platforms, and we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also find us on Patreon just by looking for pods like us. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening and hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. Thank you.